Speaking podcast. This is Chris Shelton, your host. Thank you very much for inviting me into your home again this week. Happy to be back. Uh, still feeling a little under the weather. It's been a time, but uh, we are back and rolling. And I am coming at you this week with guest Catherine Spolino. Hi, Catherine. Welcome to my show. Hi, Chris. Good to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're finally making this happen. Uh, Catherine and I have been in touch for a few weeks now, and she is a former, I guess you could say she, well, she was a second generation Scientologist raised in Scientology, raised in the Sea Org. And there's something I want to sort of set up for you guys as the audience here that you might not necessarily be fully aware of, or you might have heard about, or or saw something about on the Aftermath show. But here's the deal. In the 1970s, uh, the Sea Org came to land. And in the 1980s, they had set up uh, cadet organizations to start dealing with the fact that a lot of Sea Org members had been having children. And having children in the Sea Org was not a popular thing, but it was a thing. It was something that was going on, and eventually they put the kibosh on it and said it can't happen. And this is where we've heard so many horror stories about forced abortions and, you know, sort of uh, this sort of dictatorial, authoritarian mindset where children are not allowed and children are persona non grata. And we don't want any of those, you know, kids around here. But there's an earlier beginning to this story, which goes back to the time of the cadets. And Hubbard gave this really hardly any attention, really lip service, other than to use some of these kids when he was uh, running things on a boat to sort of take them over and use them for his own servants. And he called them messengers, and they would carry messages around and that kind of thing. You've heard of this. But what you haven't heard a lot about is the fact that in Los Angeles, at the International Base, and in the Pacifica Base, where the big blue buildings are, there were formalized sort of subunits or organizations set up to deal with raising the children of Sea Org members. And the Sea Org members themselves, the parents, were not really very involved in this. They were, their children were basically sort of taken from them or removed from their vicinity because the most important thing was that the parents be on their job, on their post, doing their work. And the Sea Org is a 24-7 operation. It's a group of fanatical people. And they have devoted their entire lives to the concept of saving the, the planet, clearing the planet. So the kids of these Sea Org members were really given very short shrift and not given educations, not given good meals, not given good medical care, or even very good quarters to, to live in or to be educated in. And the people who were assigned to take care of these cadets or these kids were basically those who could be spared, those who were not really doing very well anywhere else, so let's go have them take care of the kids. And that was how it went for an entire generation or two of Sea Org kids. And Catherine Spolino, my guest today, is one of those 
children, one of those survivors. And she has written a book called The Bad Cadet. And now that I've sort of positioned what that's all about, I think, you know, now we're going to understand what this is, what this story is going to be. But I, but you have reached out to me because you put this book together. You've recently published it. And uh, you are telling your story in two parts, actually. There's a first book, and then there's another one coming. But we're going to cover your, you know, the basics of your whole story here today. So, again, Catherine, now with all that set up, again, mm-hmm. welcome to my show. Thank you. Thanks again for having me. I, this is actually my first podcast, so in video interview. So, forgive me, viewers, if I'm doing anything. Whatever. I don't know. No, you're fine. You're totally fine. And you're going to be fine. So so let's go ahead and maybe uh, first off, you know, how you do let, Let's Let's maybe start at the end and say, okay, well, you know, here you are. What kind of prompted you to now put a book together? Come, you know, come talk to me, talk to, you know, I'm sure you'll be uh, talking to other content creators, podcasters, et cetera. What, what kind of prompted this in the first place? Um, so the book itself was an idea I had when I was actually at the ranch because I was a, a avid reader and I was very aware that this was not normal. So I would journal and write about my experience, but more of like, this is kind of an interesting life I'm living. I wonder if I'll write about this one day, but not really thinking about it like in a, like against Scientology. Of course, I was still believing in everything. I just was like, this is very interesting. So it was always kind of in the back of my mind. And then around 2021, 20, um, some stuff happened and we'll dive into that where I became aware of how bad Scientology is. They accused me of making my brother sick, said I was the reason he was he was basically dying and they said it was my fault. And that's an eye opener for sure. So yeah. from there, it still took like another year and we could talk about that where I still believed and then like, but there was cracks and that those, those cracks get bigger and bigger. So yeah, so from there though, I was still scared to speak out because I had my brother who was still alive at the time, another brother, a sister, and my parents in the Sea Org. And I was living my life in LA. I'd met a non-Scientologist though. So he, my boyfriend, now husband, was somebody I could talk to, which was really, really nice because he could listen and I want to get it like written up because, you know, you can't talk negatively about Scientology. So meanwhile, during that time, I started thinking about that book idea and I started writing it. But again, I was like, I'm never really going to do anything with this. And that continued for like dabbling, working on it, working on it for like, I'm going to say I started when I was 20. I'm almost, you know, I'm now I'm older. It's like almost 20 years. <laughs> um, I don't care. I'll say I'm 38. So uh, it took a long time. But the reason why I fully committed was because when two of my really good friends went on um, the Aftermath show, um, I knew about it and my parents found out I knew about it. And so they disconnected from me just because of that, even though I hadn't spoken out. And I was like very, very hurt and upset. And I always hope like they won't be those type of people, right? Like they're going to still be stick with me. They know I'm not a Scientologist. They still been in my life, but no, like because all because I was fine with my friends speaking their truths, they were done with me. And that was very devastating. I had newborn twins and a three-year-old that they had visited every year and boom, gone, done. I haven't seen them or talked to them in four years, three years, whatever that timeline is. Um, so it kind of gave me permission to write this book 
Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm going to write this book. I'm going to finish this. And, uh, and I still, though, I will be honest, two weeks ago, I was still not going to have my name on this book. I was still scared. Um, there's this, this really rigid control they have on your brain where you're like so scared to talk. And uh, one of my really, really dear friends of mine, Clarissa, she grew up with me, uh, Clarissa Huber Adams. She was like, called me out of the blue. And she's like, I'm so, she's been excited about this book for so long. She's just like, I really feel like you, I, she's like, I can't tell you what to do, but there's something about freeing about having your name out there. And it's like the final chain being broken. Yeah. And I love that line. I was like, and I like got, kind of got the shivers. I was like, you're right. Like I'm being a, like not a coward, but I, if I really want to own this, I need to just put my name on it. And I'm using my maiden name just because I want other ranchers to be like, oh, I know who that is. Um, right. And so, yeah, and that's where we are now. And I'm like, I'm a, I'll be honest, I'm, a, I'm an anxious wreck. I've been having nightmares and stuff. This this is real. Like the, the feelings that they could evoke from you. Like, I'm like, are they going to like make a website and smear my name? Are, are they going to pressure my parents? Like, I haven't talked to them at all, but like in three years, but I also don't want them to be under undue stress because of me. And at the same time, they like, you know, gave me up. So I don't really, I just have to do what's right for me. So that's right. Well, that's exactly right. Lots and lots there. And I, I have so many things to comment on. I think the first thing I'd like to say, of course, is congratulations and well done. And mm -hmm. I will also say that from my own experience, there is nothing like and I've, and I've encouraged a lot of people over the years to do this. There is nothing more. Uh, well, it's very cathartic to put mm -hmm. yourself out there loud and proud under your own name and not try to not try to play the OSA game of guess who, you mm -hmm. know, not not play the game on their terms. In other words, not and let I knew them they would figure out who I was. Too, of course. So. Of course. Right. I mean, how could you write a book like this and, and they're not going to know who it is? And and yet to come out, to put yourself out there, it is risky. It is an authoritarian, you know, totalist kind of spy organization that does engage in in dirty tricks. And so yeah. there is there is a danger in doing this, no matter who you are. I've managed to dodge a lot of bullets, but Mike and Leah and Tony and so many other people, uh, you know, that we can, a whole laundry list of people over the years have taken a great deal of shellackings from the mm -hmm. church because of this kind of nonsense that they get up to. So it's always putting yourself in a little bit of the danger zone here doing this kind of thing and it's worthy of you know of praise to do that so so first off well done <laughs> and uh you know and second off it's kind of cathartic it's a little bit like yeah this is me this is my story this is what happened and i don't care you know this is this is the truth that's what i have to i'm i'm hoping i'm waiting for that moment it hasn't happened yet <laughs> my friends are yeah. so excited about the book and that's been great but like i think I just, I don't know. I, I feel good about this. Like I do, I feel powerful in a way I'm owning myself, but I'm also still like, what's going to happen? Like, I don't know. And it's like, it's going to be okay. I, I keep telling myself it's going to be okay. It, it, definitely. I'm sure. I, I'm sure it will. I mean, you know, obviously fingers crossed, but I'm sure it will. I happen to also have worked with most of the members of your family when we were all in the Sea Org. I mean, I, I, this, is a, this is a backstory I'm somewhat familiar with, uh, as opposed to some people I've had on my show who I 
a meeting for the first time or never had any real uh, shared experiences with them. Your sister is somebody I worked with closely for years uh, because she is or was a CMO messenger, and that was a high-level position at Big Blue. And she was one of those young girls running around screaming and yelling and cussing at people and telling them what's for, you know, and, and giving them the, the, the reading of the riot act and all of that. She was one of those people and she's still in there. And I, I was, uh, I was so happy when you first reached out to me, I was like, Oh, are they out? You know? And then, uh, well, not, not all the way. And that's, that's fine. It is what it is, but it was certainly uh, interesting to connect with my own past a little bit through your story. Yeah. Yeah. That is pretty cool. Yeah. I, know, I remember your face around when I was there. I was just there for in the Sea Org for a year, but you were, I mean, you, you were in CLO. I, I definitely recognized you. So I was like, oh, it's kind of cool to talk to somebody that I saw back in the day in LA. Yeah, exactly. It's always interesting hooking back up with people who were around then because, you know, for me, you know, 17 years in the Sea Org, 27 years in Scientology, it's, there's so much you forget. Mm-hmm. There's just so many things, so many little anecdotes or little things that happen or big things even that you just kind of, oh, right, that. Yeah, I forgot all about that, you know, and that's kind of one of the things you get in, in reconnecting with people from the past there. Yeah. Now, um, getting into your story here, um, you were basically this entire thing happens in Los Angeles, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're born in 1985, mm-hmm. uh, which is, um, I was just getting into Scientology when you were born. Uh, oh, wow. and, and by that, I mean formally starting to do classes in Santa Barbara. Yeah. And then you, um, and this is, this is right in the middle of the 1980s where uh, Hubbard's going to be dead in a few months. Things mm-hmm. are tumultuous. They're trying desperately to get Hubbard's name cleared, and there's all kinds of other nonsense going on, and they're delivering services and blah, blah, blah. But Scientology had just been had a, had a pretty big schism, and the children of Sea Org members were, were put into this place called, the, you've referred to it as the ranch, the Pack Ranch. Mm-hmm. And that was the that was where the big blue kids went. That was where that was not where the international base where Jenna Miscavige Hill and the mm-hmm. international base kids were. They had their own ranch that was called the Int Ranch. Yeah, you were part of the Pacific Ranch. And if you could, you know, what were you kind of born into? What was the situation there? Yeah. So first we were at the ATA, which was right across the street from Big Blue. It was like this fenced-in area. Um, that's like my first memories are at the ATA, and it was just like a, a very uh, lots of kids, not many teachers, kind of running around. But it was overall, I have happy memories because I don't know any better. I was just running around, and I wasn't bullied or anything. I had friends, so I'm sure if you had issues or problems as a child it would have not been caught you know and i know that some kids got like their mouths washed out with soap or spanked my mom was actually a teacher there so i don't know if somehow in that realm i was protected in some way because i never had that happen to me um but i observed it or heard about it Mm. um but overall it was like let's go to the L. Ron Hubbard Life Exhibition a lot. <laughs> and like, and that's talked about in my book, like chapter two is like what it was like as a child. And that's, I think what my book does is really put you in the eyes of a child when you're exposed to L. Ron Hubbard constantly. Um, you just believe of him as like a God. And it, that's just 
just what it is. Yeah. But you don't know what God is, but so it's just, this is the person, you know? Yeah. There are pictures um, of him everywhere. Yeah. You know, everywhere you go, there's, there's L. Ron Hubbard. I remember that too, even growing up, not, I wasn't in the Sea Org, but yeah. even running around the, the Pasadena mission and every room, every, every space, you know, there's L. Ron Hubbard. He was always present. Yeah. And I have like a line that I've, kind of proud of where I'm like, he was always watching me, not in a creepy way. (laughs) (laughs) Like I liked it. Like I was like, he's looking over me kind of vibe. Um, This is when I'm like eight years old um, or six to eight. And then I go, I'm all of a sudden just told, okay, you're going to the ranch. I don't, my parents didn't tell me. I was just told that pack your bags. Me and my friend are are going. So we get in the car and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is where my sister's been. I haven't seen her in forever. Uh, Cause I never really knew where she was cause she's six years older than me. Um, which is a big age difference. I'm the youngest of four. It's like my sister and then two brothers and then me. We're about two and a half years apart all throughout. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just like get told. I'm, I'm excited to go to the ranch, though. Like, that's my viewpoint because I'm like, oh, this is where the big kids are. This is where my sister is. I'm leaving before my brothers for some reason. Um, they're older than me. I'm like, I must be really cool. I think it turns out, looking back, the what person I went with was the daughter of the cadet coordinator who ran the ranch. So I think they just had her pick a buddy. <laughs> and I was the buddy. And you got it. Got it. And this is when you were eight years old. Yeah. So, so up I, until, is, up until that, so I'm going to just ask, how often were you, your mother, fortunately for you was actually around quite a bit because she was one of the caretakers or nannies. I think they were called. How, what about your dad? He was an advanced courses supervisor and did other things over at, uh, over at AOLA, if I remember right. Yeah. Did you yeah, see so, him much? Did they, were there, were there weekend times? Were there, were there times when your folks would come around and take you places or anything like that with the family, any of that kind of thing? You know, it was so funny too, was when I was writing this book, I was like, what do I write? Like, how do I talk about my family? And I had this whole chapter about like their history and where they came from and why they joined the Sierra. And I, I cut it. I was like, I don't, I didn't know what they were doing. So I'm like, I'm just doing this from my own eyes. So my viewpoint as a child was I saw my dad every Saturday, Sunday morning for what was called CSP. And we would like do laundry and go to 7-Eleven. Like that was like the gist of our relationship. And then my mom, I would say say hi and wave, but I really didn't see her the same as my dad because she, she was with the younger kids. Um, oh. So, yeah, she wasn't my teacher or nanny. So wow. it was just like these people that were there that were my parents, but they didn't really have anything to do with me. Like I loved them, they loved me and that, but there was like, there was not, like now as a mom of three boys, I'm just like, whoa, that is so weird. Um, yeah, one wonders what it would take to sever those kind of ties for between a parent and kid. And that's why I use words like fanatics, you know, because it, take, it takes that level of extreme belief. And I speak from personal experience. I mean, I, you know, I, I have a son and he's on the other side of the planet and I wasn't around for him, you know, so I, I, I know where that headspace is and it's, it's not a good place. Wow, I didn't know you had a child. I I do. I, he's an adult now. He's and I have met him and I have gone over there and and we have reconnected. But um, oh, that's, he's yeah. not a Scientologist then. No, he, well, fortunately, he never never got in. His mother never okay. forced it on him. And oh, good. Okay. Oh yeah. So he's <laughs> he's doing fine. But um, yeah. but it's but it's a real headspace. It's a because you because we're just kind of tossing this off like oh yeah I saw my folks on you know one day a week and. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people in the audience right now going, what? 
how do yeah. you how do you do that you know but that's scientology that is the sea org is the kids mm-hmm. aren't and we'll and we'll develop this theme as we go through here but the 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 kids are only important to the degree that they're becoming little sea org members and yeah. if and if they're not or if they're troublesome or if they are not on board they're non people they don't really matter and that's yeah. that's kind of the big problem with this entire picture it mm-hmm. is it is not so much about physical beatings and abuse it's about neglect at a level that is almost incomprehensible you know yeah it is and it's something that as a child you're always told the greatest good for the greatest number of dynamics so you begin they begin at a young age i mean for everybody whatever age you are that's like you know you have your seven dynamics one of them being self second dynamic like family and um, you're too like whoever you're dating or whatever yeah. kids, but then all of a sudden it's always like, but what's the greater good for the greater number of the dynamic dynamics? That's only two of the dynamics. So then you're always saying, oh well, there's these other five dynamics like our group and our mankind and saving the world. Like that's so much more important than my own family. And you they like, and then there's also like something that I think I believe is that idea of reincarnation, which they believe in past lives, right? Yep. So if you've already had kids like well I'm not gonna talk to these kids i mean like they've i've had children before it kind of like negates that idea of living in the moment or living in this life i feel like there's also that to me i wonder if that kind of helps with that like cognitive dissonance if they have any if they're like oh, oh yeah. i miss my child and they say well you've had children before <laughs> or oh, something absolutely absolutely we used to recruit people with that we would tell people straight up because we you know we would run into young women or young men and uh, well, I want to have a family. I want to have kids. I want to, you know, I want to have a life. And it was like, well, you've had 10 billion lives already with 10 billion kids. And look where yeah. it got you. Come on. Yeah. You know, let's go. We got to, we got to look at this world. We got to save the planet, man. That's what's important. Not you and your stupid kids. Exactly. You know? So, oh, man. Yeah. yeah. So that attitude definitely extended into the Sea Org as well. It wasn't just something we told new recruits. Yeah, exactly. And then you were talking about, so like my parents, I saw them on Saturdays. Yeah. Once I went to the ranch, I saw them like once every like five months, every six months, unless oh, I went wow. down for a mission, which was like when we did filing, which was a whole nother thing where you're like seeing knowledge reports on adults and stuff for children filing these. So, uh, but yeah, the, could we, could, actually, could I stop you for just a second there? Because yeah. I understand exactly what you're talking about, but I don't think anybody else does. What do you mean kids going on a mission? Yeah. You know, I've discussed Sea Org missions and they're basically projects. They're, they're, there's orders written, you're, you're briefed, you're sent out, you're given money, you're, you usually travel somewhere and you have a specific task to do and you get the task done and then you go back to the base and that's a Sea Org mission. But what's this with kids doing this now? Yeah, so they would have missions, the big you guys, Who's on, like, you're going to go on the bus, we're going to bust you down from the ranch, and you get to go file. And, like, a lot of times it's just, like, be in a big empty room doing filing, and then they'd order pizza for lunch. We we loved it. It was, like, a break from the day at the ranch. <laughs> I mean, I loved it. I can't speak for everybody. We were like, oh, cool, file. But we knew we'd get pizza, and normally they'd maybe reward us with a movie or something. And then at lunchtime, they would let us, like, go run, a, run around and go find our parents and say hello. Um, so that would be a time when I would see my dad for, like, five minutes and I'd be like, do you have any money? So I could go to the canteen. If 
Bye. Right. <laughs> the extent of it. Um, but wow. yeah, those were missions. Some of the missions were good ones, I'll be honest. They had like the way to happiness missions where we go to the beach and pick up trash and then get to play at the beach. Like those were coveted missions. We wanted to do those ones for sure. Um, or like events set up before the big events at the Shrine Auditorium. We would help organize all the food or putting decorations around. Yeah, there's no, there's no, I mean, definitely get that it was a fun experience, but I have to kind of comment on the child labor trafficking aspect of this. I know, I know, it's horrible. We are all kids and we should be in school. Oh, well, kind of. I mean, well, let me ask you, actually, since we're talking about this and we are covering your early years here, what about school? Were you guys going to school? So we had what was called three R's, reading, writing, and arithmetic, but it had a lot of holes because that's not all you're taught in school. Um, that's something I realized like leaving when I left the Sierra, how many, like there was like gaps in our studying and, and it was very poor education. It was like, I like to read. So I happened to be like, I was fine in that regard, but you know, kids, some kids could barely read because there was no one-on-one -on -one attention. Um, and then some kids were like, math like if they hated it they would just avoid it and to get into the sea org you only need to have fifth grade math level it was like very low standards so everybody leaving when if you like eventually left the sea org, which i did when i was 16 years old i had like a, a very um very strange education but yeah school was not that important we had half school half Scientology studies so it was about i think it would be about two to three hours of regular school and then two to three hours of Scientology studies, and then two to three hours of work, unless there was a major project going on at the ranch, then it might be longer hours for work, but generally like the, you know, gardening or weeding the hills, that would be a few hours in the day too, or working in the galley, making food for everybody. Got it, got it. Okay, so, so this was kind of life up at the ranch there, and who was in, what, not who by name, but like what was, the, what was the adult structure up there? How many kids are we talking about that you were with both in the nursery and then once you went up to the ranch, what was the situation there? And how many adults were, were running this outfit? So I think at the ATA, I, I'm like, so I always felt like the adults were overwhelmed. So I don't think they had enough adults. Um, but I can't like I was so young then and I wasn't like tracking it But I feel like it was like two adults for like 50 kids or a hundred or 60 kids I don't know wow. But like we had a dorm mom. So I was in a dorm with like I, I was guessing around 13 girls um, And she was in charge of us. So every dorm had a dorm mom But I think some of the dorms had like 25 kids. So if they're older I was, yeah, so I'm thinking that's at the ATA. And then at the ranch, though, I think it was only like 10 adults and there was like 150 to 200 of us. Some, like, it varied. It was like, what, like when they closed the ATA, there was a huge influx of kids. So they actually had to open up apartments like in the town nearby because there wasn't enough birthings for them. And then eventually they figured out, oh, let's just get them all, ha the older ones to the TTC and to the Sea Org. So they like, one day, boom, all of, all of you guys on this list, you're going to New York. And right. they were like, what? Yeah. Right. I remember that. I remember when I that happened. To get more space um, is my guess was what, and probably for stats, like to get. Oh, more. yeah. Oh, yeah. Was that the red shirt TTC? Yeah. 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 I remember that. Yeah. That was this big announcement one day where all these cadets came down and, and uh, from the ranch. And now they're all going to be full-time TTCers. And they had these red 
shirts yeah. that they the that they gave them yeah was yeah. it what was the vibe from your guys's end to see a bunch of kids come down was it just like oh cool like this is exciting yeah we were yeah kind of it was sort of this is the next gen right like this is gonna be the all look at all the potential of these bright shiny kids and and now we're gonna make them into little productive sea org members and isn't this gonna be awesome i was never really closely connected with the whole kid ranch thing so it was always yeah. something going on way over there right because my time was spent in the basement managing orgs so yeah. i so i was not you know it was only i you'd only hear about things when there were really big problems or some flap you know is what they would call it you know oh it's a flap yeah uh, so we would hear about those kind of things but even then rarely um it wasn't i think until after the was it after the red shirt tea? I can't remember when there was um, the the biggest flaps were when there was uh, when there were sexual liberties taken, and that was mm -hmm. there were two or three instances of that, and that was that was the worst. That was the absolute worst. Isn't it crazy that everybody heard about it at PAC so bad? Oh. Like the like the, they're all 14 15 16 of course they're gonna get up to shenanigans but how does it like we all find out about it i would hear about it and it was like nothing was a secret and it was it's, no it's no well it's a tight it's a very tight community and the rumor lines are what they are and mm -hmm. and when it was sexual assault of minors by adult caretakers it was like what i mean yeah. we you know we were i you know i no nobody you know, we, we this happened, and it was covered up, and it was disgusting. Oh, yeah. But I nobody was okay with it. I want to be clear that nobody thought, oh, well, of, you know, what's the big deal? I, not one person I knew thought that. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely mortifying that, that, that the adult ranch people were, you know, basically raping kids. But... Uh, that was the probably the very worst of what I ever heard about coming out of that area when I was in the Sea Org still. Yeah. And what's, I don't know if we could say, I don't want to say names or anything. No. I'm like, I know of something like happening with a couple, like an adult and like a 16 year old, 17 year old. Yeah. But I don't know the other, I don't know if like rape and stuff, that stuff. Well, I say that because it's it's technically uh, statutory rape. rape. Yeah. yeah, it's a, it is sexual assault, and it's absolutely. There was definitely stuff that happened that was like not okay at the ranch, where like older kids were abusing younger kids because there wasn't supervision. Right. Um, so, which was really sad. Some of the kids had that happen. It's very sad. Yeah, very sad. And of course, you know, in an unsupervised, unregulated, unlicensed situation, of course, you're going to have abuses mm -hmm. and nonsense and predation that's you know it, it's it, it, you're just begging for it yeah so uh so that's the that's you know some of the very worst of that fortunately you weren't one of the victims of that mm -hmm. um but but let's get back to your story so um so okay so you go on up there and there's you know uh, 10 adults i guess which actually surprised me I th i'm surprised there were that many I was, uh, I, I didn't know how many were up there, but I knew there was, you know, about five or six. Lots of kids. Yeah, I now, think what it's was... about 10, but I, I could be a little off. No, fair me. enough. I'll definitely take your word yeah. for it. Um, 100 kids. I mean, that's a lot. I didn't actually realize it was that many. What was the different, what was life like up there? Because this was Canyon Oaks Ranch. Yeah, this was up in the hills. Yeah. This yeah. was way outside of town. 
This was not yeah. just a few blocks Popeyes, away from Big Blue. Like Santa Clarita and Saugus. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what was how, hey, you know, what what was it like up there in terms of your day to day of of existence as a Sea Org, uh, mm -hmm. you know, growing up Sea Org member kind of thing? Yeah, it was definitely very uh, regimented. We had a schedule. We all had jobs, which are called posts, just like a Sea Org. We had a commanding officer, which was like a kid who would like be in charge of us. And sometimes like there would be no adult and it was just the CO cadets telling us what to do. And they were normally like 13 to 14 years old, which was like when you're about almost about to go to the Sea Org. So that was considered pretty old. Um, and, uh, and it was like, you know, wake up bell uh get ready bell rings run down to muster then it's you know either you go on study or you go on post and it's basically like a sea org schedule but with children and we would just wow. follow it i mean you have a schedule in a school except our ours went all day and we had work as part of the schedule instead of like you know going to soccer <laughs> you know right. we had pe like we would have like 45 minutes for pe or i think it was an hour but it was never like uh very organized sports or anything uh, that was like our most free time that like block and then like bedtime and then you have your meals which were i think 30 minutes maybe an hour we definitely had time to hang out in the dorm and like chit chat but, okay okay yeah but I, I can't remember if it was 30 minutes to an hour but it was a very regimented schedule and you followed it and if you didn't you got like a knowledge report you could get in trouble so i was a bad cadet so i would like I wouldn't follow schedule very well. <laughs> like I was always like, Oh, how could I get away with this? <laughs> you know, right. or like, Oh, I don't want to do this course right now. I'm going to go, go to the bathroom. And then I would go to my dorm and read a book or something. And then somebody would come knocking on the door and I would like crawl out the window in the back. <laughs> right. I yeah. was, uh, let me ask you just, just cause this is something that sits up as like a signpost in my mind. Cause it, it, it is something that, um, Scotty uh, told me, um, uh, Anthony, anyway, one of the kids there who was the son of one of the Sea Org members there. And he uh, became an MAA at AO or something. And I think he was watching me after I, you know, wanted to leave or blue or something. And he told me one day something that I was like, what? Um that all the kids up at the ranch were 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 pretty familiar with and not even really very scared of the fact that there were free rattlesnakes all over the place yeah. up in the hills up there and and all the kids kind of knew how to take a stick hold the snake down pick it up whirl it and kill it <laughs> and I, I he told me this so matter of factly that I almost, I, 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 even as a Sea Org member, as an adult Sea Org member, I was like, wait a minute, what? We're putting yeah. kids in a place where there are rattlesnakes around just roaming? Mm -hmm. and, and he was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, it, he treated it as it, like it was no big deal. And I don't know, maybe even now I'm treating it like a bigger deal than it was. What is your view on, is this true? And was that really, was it that kind of crazy up there? It would, like, there was, so we were uh, in the mountains, so, like, if you left, like, to see a rattlesnake just, like, in the middle of the ranch would be kind of unusual, though we would see garter snakes all the time, and we were very, like, oh, there's a garter snake, or, like, nature of that kind. Once there was a bear that would be wandering around, and they had, like, a bear trap set up by the dumpsters, um, that was, that was pretty exciting. We wow. Were like, what if you see a bear? <laughs> wow. Uh, uh, so, the, the, the rattlesnake thing definitely happened, but it would be more, like, in the outback, and there was, like, 
especially like the more outdoorsy type folk kids would like, you know, just disappear during PE and like come back with a rattlesnake hanging from their stick. Like that, that was definitely like, and we would be like, oh, cool. Like gather around and look at it. Um, but it was, yeah, like it, that was, it was just, we had a lot of like, yeah, not a lot of adult supervision. Like one time me and my friends took our horses out back and we went like way out. And then we decided to gallop home, which you're not supposed to do because horses are really hard to control when you're going home. And the, my, the horses are going and we're turn, they take a turn and the horses like run into each other. And I fly off my horse, land on the other horse's neck and they're still galloping. And then I fall onto the ground and they like, luckily the horses like jump over me. But I'm like, I could have been like totally killed and you know, nothing. Right. It's just like you just get up and you walk. I had to walk like three miles back to the ranch and wow. go to horse. Like it was just nothing. Well, let me ask you. Let me ask you this: If you were, if somebody said, "I want to take your kids and I want to go put them in the ranch right now," or you know, as as young kids and and raise them there, like knowing what everything you know now, yeah, about that situation. I would never. No, it was. What would your response be? And 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 I'm kind of curious, like, because you know, there's years of 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 stuff here, and obviously we can't cover all the details, and that's the whole point of your book is to get into yeah. all of that. But what would your response be and what would be your number one reason not to let that happen? Because there is like literally nobody is, you know, as a mother, I'm a mother of three boys. The amount of tension I give to each of my children is so individualized. They are not the same person. And at the ranch, we are all treated as the same cog. They, right. Like, we're all going to be cadets. You're all going to go on the sea org. And like, there's nothing recognizing the beauty in yourself. And so, like, for me, there's a theme in my book where I'm always think I'm bad. I'm not a good person. I'm like, and I'm not attractive. I'm not strong. Like, I did think I was smart at that, like, because I read. And that's, like, a theme in books. If you're a reader, you're smart. So that was fine. But, like, to, to be, like, not, like, if somebody said that to me, I would say, hell no. Like, my nine-year-old did go to a sleepaway camp last summer, and I hated it. I was like... He had a great time. He was only gone for four nights, but I was like, how the, like, how the heck did my parents do that and not even like care? Like I wouldn't see them for like six months, five months. And it was nothing. Right. Uh, right. But I think that's the main thing is that when you're with being raised by a parent, the nurturing that they, you give to your children, like I'm like, one of my kids is very athletic and it's like, I'm always getting signed, sign him up for sports. I encourage him, try to teach him how to be a good sport. You know, and the other one loves theater. And it's like, what What can we do? Like, like last night we went to go see Hamilton. Like, it was really cool. So it's like, that part is sad. Like, that there was nobody ever looking out for me or, like, or doing something special for me and, like, being my advocate. It was just me for myself. And then I have my friends, but we're also just young children. So we're not meant to be taking care of each other necessarily, but we kind of did. You know? Well, it's I see that it had to become that because, I mean, yeah. just from a psychological perspective, I'm looking at the attachment issues here and I'm just like, my God, there's a laundry list of issues going on here because basically the Sea Org, through its structuring, disassembles the whole family structure. There is no yeah. family structure there. Even your own sister was gone, you know, and you were finally going to go join her when you were eight, you know, because she just wasn't around. and. It's just, it's so mind boggling to just basically take the entire concept of family and nullify it. Yeah. 
And it's actually very interesting because now as a mother too, like I had to, I decided to see a therapist myself because I was like, am I doing this right? I don't know how to model, what the model is of a normal, quote unquote normal, more just a healthy, happy family would be. And, you know, I would have anger issues where they weren't getting their shoes on and I would like blow up and I would just feel so bad. I'm like, why can't I just keep control? I always picture myself as the most calm mother. It's a normal thing for parents to yell at their kids, obviously, like when they're not getting their shoes on or not to say we yell. I don't want to sound like I yell all the time. <laughs> but I'm just fine. trying to give examples where I'm like, I didn't understand what's normal. How do I, I don't want to yell. How do I prevent right. myself from like yelling? And they were just little guys. So it's like hard for them to like stay focused. It's there are six and nine now twins are six and nine year old. It's so much better and easier. But I talking to that therapist and giving her my background. She's like, I don't even know how you're even you are doing an amazing job. She's just validating me. She's like, you have no structure or like thing to base it off of. And, and like all of your solutions and ideas are really good. And she's like, you just have to try your best, you know, and like model behavior, step away if you get angry and but it was like, that's how little I know about what a family life is like. It's like, I have to walk. I had to like talk to a therapist a little bit and just like really understand like what to expect kind of, because I didn't really know. Yeah, exactly. And I want to, of course, throw a little validation your way because of course you have come out of this so well and have and literate and, you know, clearly able to, you know, uh, have an educated conversation and all of that. I mean, you know, kudos to call across the boards there because you never really, you know, fell into the same kind of mindset that unfortunately some of your fellows did, mm -hmm. uh, where they kind of were, you know, kind of drank more deeply of the Kool-Aid, so to speak, uh, in terms of buying into the importance of it and the, the mission of it and the saving the planet of it and all of that. And there were some, um, there were some real tragic outcomes from some of the uh, survivors and, you know, even non people who didn't end up surviving so well from that environment. Uh, so do you want to speak to that at all in terms of what you observed or saw over the years? Yeah, it's definitely very like sad because if you had um, any mental illness, firstly, like being there could already be traumatic enough. That's not even to say like you had to have a mental illness, but then if you did, like on top of that, that's going to be ignored and negated and like maybe audited, but you're not really going to get the help that you need. Um, I do think like anytime somebody was like, I talk about it a little bit in my book where it just kind of comes up where I'm like, somebody's suicidal and I'm like, they should just get their shit together. Like that's my nice. attitude as a child. And like, that's very sad. Like it's like very, um, all for one, like you, the only thing that's important is that you stay healthy for the group, but it's not really like yourself. Um, but yeah, I've definitely, it's sad like to see some people who have definitely struggled since even though they left the sea org and they got out it's still you know hard for them it's like a post-traumatic thing to get through yeah and i left early i left at 16 so like i was lucky in that regard some people stayed until their late 20s which is like makes it even harder Exactly. Um, and I've always, I mean, you have a master's in psychology, right? Is that right? Uh, and, and specifically in coercive control. Yeah. Yeah. So I've always, I have wondered that though, like, what is it that, um, I have my own theories, but like, I, like my, my book, the bad cadet is like a play on words. Cause I'm not a bad person, 
but there is a theme where I don't listen well and I don't follow the rules. So as that, I mean, psychology speaking, did that give me that like, I don't know, distance where I was never fully drinking the Kool-Aid? I just wonder like what what it was because not not everybody left the Sea Org that was at the ranch. A lot of them are still in. That's and right. I'm like, how is it that they could do that and have their blinders on? And I have friends, one, one dear friend was at my wedding and like so close to me. And because our two friends were on the aftermath, you know, blocked me, disconnected from me. And I'm like, she's in the real world. How does she still? And I had a real conversation about why my friends were on the aftermath. Turns out she might've had an MAA with her and I might've like accidentally like ratted up my friends to her. I didn't mean to. I was just thought she was trying to have an honest conversation. This is over the phone. Cause I'm like, oh my gosh, this is my chance. She's asking me questions. She never asked me questions about why people speak out against Scientology. And I'm like, you trying to give her this reality. And it was just like blocked. You're done. No longer friends. Yeah. And I don't know what it is though, that some. Well, fully- it's a, yeah. If I, I mean, it, it has to do with emotional needs, of course, but I. But other than that, it's very hard to pin down. Like, oh, it's gene X Y Z, right? Yeah. It's it's brain cell three five nine, right? It's who knows. Yeah. But what, but what I what I can say is is what I what I'd like to say at least, and get your thoughts on this are. It has to do with you know the the thing about authoritarian high control groups, uh, cults, if you will, right? Is is they are they are environments of compliance and control. Yeah. That's what they're that is the entire thing that they're doing and that yeah. they are and that they are creating all the methods and techniques and and rituals and stuff that they do whether it's religious or non-religious doesn't matter it's it's about conforming yeah. And conforming can be good. There's lots of contexts where we need to conform, but then there's taking it too far. And there's those of us, mm-hmm. I think you're one of them, right? Who just kind of not really in it. I'm not, not really in you to be a conformist. Mm-hmm. And there's some of us, I certainly could put myself in this group, who kind of are. Yeah. You know, with structure, order, it could be an appeal. There could be other reasons for it. Of course, the mission, saving the world, clearing the yeah. planet, making things better for everybody. There's lots of good reasons we can come up with to conform. But these high control situations are such that they demand compliance. Yeah. And there's just some people who just aren't going to do that. And they're always the squeaky wheel. They're always the problem. They're always the monkey in the wrench, right? And and that's kind of part of your story, I think. And mm-hmm. a lot of those kids were, and, and you can be browbeaten into this. You can be, you know, literally beaten into this, into conforming and yeah. and having that resistance taken out of you. And that be, those beatings can be physical beatings or they can be psychological beatings. Peer pressure is a big part of this. You know, that kind of thing like where you mention somebody starts you know having suicidal ideation and it's like, "Well, just get over it." Mm-hmm. You know, there's no support. There's just browbeating. It's just knock it off. That's yeah. just wrong and it's not okay because mm-hmm. the group says it's not okay, you know? 
And you get this sort of interplay of this. And some people struggle really, really hard in that kind of situation. Other people figure out a way to navigate it and conform. Yeah. And I think that's kind of, you know, the sea org in a nutshell and certainly uh, the environment you were raised in, you know, and you just kind of went, yeah, I don't, I don't think this is what I want to be doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's and it's uh, it's it's kudos in that kind of situation for somebody like you, you know, to be able to buck that system and know it, but recognize also that you're the outlier. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I was like, I think that I um, I'm trying what I'm trying to do with my book is really show a big picture of the ranch, uh, obviously from my perspective, but I was a very uh, yeah, I didn't follow the rules a lot, so. Uh, but it wasn't that bad. And that's like really that's like, it's like a kind of ironic title. Um, no, of course. I, I don't think anybody's going to read that title and go, oh, she was an evil person. Yeah, I just wanted to be a teenager and that, that beat saving the world. And that was exactly. big enough for me. And wanted to have kids one day too. It's like a big, you know, you can't have children if you're in the Sea Org. That's a huge thing to ask a young person to give up. Um, right. So. Yeah, big time. All right. Well, kind of looking back at your at your narrative here, right? So you get up to the ranch uh, at eight years old. Now your sister's around. Now you're in this more rigid, more structured environment. You spend another eight years up there. Any Mm -hmm. other um, in terms of the story of what happened to you? Are there any other significant events there you want to highlight or, or mention before we get to what happened to have you arrive as an actual Sea Org member? Um, not really. I think, and I was actually, I was 14 when they told me I was going to go in the circus. So I was at the ranch for like, yeah, six years or so. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I think we kind of covered it. It's, I think, uh, the details, if anybody wants to really know what it was like at the ranch will be in my book, but. Sure. Sure. So how did it happen that you go from cadet to, Mm -hmm. okay, now it's time to move up to the big leagues. Now you're going up to the, you know going to play the big yeah. game, right? How, how did that happen? What exactly occurred? So they are very, they, like they do treat us just like these little like pieces that they move around. And just like when I was like told, hey, you're going to the ranch one day. Oh, they did. They were having me get my A, B and C certs, which are like these like, quote unquote, I thought they said adult level education, but my I talked to my friends and they were saying they said it was just enough for like Sea Org or like good enough kind of I always thought they were saying we were smarter than like a normal wall even though it was like fifth grade math eighth grade vocabulary and writing an essay in cursive it was like super easy right if I might yeah. and by the way for the audience uh, if you don't know or haven't heard this before Scientology uses the word wog Oh, yes. Uh, to describe muggles, people out who people who don't have the magic, right? People who aren't Scientologists. And in yeah. other words, the entire world are a bunch of wogs. Yeah, and it's used very like derogatory. Like yeah. you're they're kind of dumb. Like they don't know better yet about Scientology. And one day, it's like when you're trying to like, the one day we'll save them with Scientology, and they'll get to know. But right now, they don't know. That's right. So we're smarter and more superior. That's <laughs> right. Knowing. Um, so yeah, I had very little education, but I got those certs and like literally the next day I just get called down to the main office and this woman's like, okay, we're going to, you're ready to join the Sea Org now. And I'm like, oh, I, that's it. They're like, yep, go pack your bags. Very anticlimactic. There's no graduation. There's no like, woohoo for you. Like, it's just 
kids, cadets just kind of disappear. It's like, cause you might say bye to a couple friends um, and that's it. And they're like, leave your stuff here. Just grab what you need. I'm like, I'm not leaving my stuff. I'll never see it again. Like, I know you guys, you're not get, providing a ride back to the ranch for me. So I like packed all my stuff in a, a backpack. Literally, it's all I had some clothes, my photo albums, and off I went. And I was like, I was excited again because anytime I had a chance to feel special, I would grasp it because it was so rare. And I was leaving before a lot of my good friends. So I was like, oh, like now I'm like so good. But then it turns out like every week they were just randomly picking like two cadets and they were like just shoving them all onto the EPF. And then by the time like the EPF was like probably 25 to 30 kids, and the EPF is what you go on to before you join the Sea Org. It's like a little mini boot camp. Yep. yep. It last was the last three weeks, but sometimes it can last like months for some people. Um, yeah. So all of a sudden, this EPF, which was like thirty-five um, people, blew up to like a hundred. It was huge because all they were just shoving all the cadets. I don't know what happened. There must have been some order. Every two weeks, it was more and more cadets. Yeah. And it, the funny part is because we grew up in that environment, we didn't really take the EPF that seriously, or some of us didn't, me. So like, it was like all of a sudden, this EPF was like kind of really loud, rambunctious group that wasn't really like as like regimented as, as it used to be. Um, so I think for a while there, some CIG members were probably like, what is going on? Right. But eventually most of them graduated. I got sent back to the ranch because I uh, goofed off too much. <laughs> oh, got- so you didn't you didn't make it through the boot camp process? Not the first time, and then the next day, or like I had a weekend at the ranch, and then the next day they're like, "Actually, you should go back." And I'm like, "Okay." Like I didn't even do any like amends, but they're like, "Just sign a promissory note that you'll be good." So they must have needed a stat up or something. Right. So they go back, and then I'm still too out ethics. So then they send me back out ethics as of goofing off or like sneaking away to the convenience store and buying like a lollipop or whatever. Um, so then after a few months, like I, somebody convinced me a good friend of mine that I had met on EPF and she was always in getting in trouble. And now she was like, it's so fun in the Sea Org telling me how great it is. She must've been told to like recruit me. And I'm like, well, if she thinks it's fun, maybe it is. I'm like, plus all the Good looking guys from the ranch are now at the, the <laughs> I swear, this is my teenage brain. I was just like, of course. oh gosh. Of course. I was like, okay, I'll do the EPF. So then I went back on and this time I made it through. And then I was like, I'm in the Sea Org. And then boy, was I surprised and disappointed when I saw how boring the Sea Org is. It's horrible. You, like I'm only 15 years old. And my first job is to call parishioners who no longer like Scientology and try to get them to come back. They put and, uh, you on Colin as a 15-year-old? Yeah. Yes. For and they're, like, first hanging job. up on me. Stop calling me. And, like, that stuff. I'm just like, this is the worst. <laughs> was my first job. That is hilarious <laughs> because because uh, that was my first post. Uh, in, back in Santa Barbara, back in the, as, a, as a staff member, I... I didn't make it as I didn't. I, I this wasn't this is pre Sea Org, but I didn't make yeah. it through a full time training thing that they had sent me for, and so they put me on the phones and I was calling people who hated Scientology, yeah. didn't want to have anything to do Get with it, off right? The list. Oh yeah, absolutely <laughs> screaming at me. <laughs> oh yeah, complaining about the staff, telling me what a fuckhead I was, telling me you know how awful Scientology was. This is my first. I'm like, damn, what the hell? Yeah. That much. Well, yeah. So yeah, what was your experience like with that? Jesus, it was very similar, and I was just like, 
I don't know how I like didn't realize like that's a red flag. Right. <laughs> I was just annoyed that that was like my job. I was like, oh, this is so boring. Yes. And I would just look forward to meal times with my friends and like. I got to go to Saturday school, got to go to Saturday school. I'm doing air quotes because that's not enough schooling for a 15 year old. And we would just like walk to the Los Feliz library and pick up books as part of our schooling or like it, they really wanted us to get our, our CHSPE, I think it's called California high school equivalent exam. Mm -hmm. And they like bust us there one Saturday. And I'm like, I'm not going to pass this. Like, I know what this means. It just means I go to work. I'm like, I want my Saturdays to like, do my fake school and read books and do nothing. So it was. Wow. Uh, so you so you purposefully fa faked out of failed out of it. And I don't. I didn't know the math too. Like uh, I didn't know algebra. I was like, sure. so it was a bit of both. It was like me saying out loud to people, like I meant to fail, but also like I would have failed. <laughs> I didn't know algebra or anything. I still don't know algebra. I don't have a high school degree. You know, it's like it's kind of embarrassing, but it's true. But it's like. That's just, you know. No, it's tragic is what it is. It's, it's, it's really quite gross. Uh, it, it was years. It, was, it wasn't for years later that they even tried to set up some kind of a formal schooling program in the, at the Big Blue Base. And it was only because mm -hmm. one guy took it over and decided himself, this needs to change. And, yeah. And did it. That was Jesse uh, Rice. Did that? Oh, okay, I didn't know that. Is that, that was, when the ranch was formed? No, it was it was years later. It was years after the after the red shirt TTC and all of that. It was after all of that. Oh, I, okay. Yeah, I think after the rest of the cadets came down, or the or they closed the ranch, or something like that. And between him and and the office of special affairs, they decided that they would actually get serious about putting check sheets together and putting some kind of schooling time in that was hours of time, not not days. It wasn't like an all day thing, and it wasn't enough, but it was yeah. something better than the the literal roll your own education that was going on before that. And I don't say this to sing their praises. I'm just letting you know what happened. Yeah, because I did hear that the ranch closed, but then the other cadets were just kind of roaming around at PAC was yeah. how it was described to me. That's right. So that's probably where they tried to organize some sort of classrooms. That's right. Because we did have check sheets and stuff at the ranch with like spelling check sheets or geography check sheets with like books. I think they just bought them from Delphi. Now I know like right. where you had made those and stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah, ironic that the Sea Org, the source of Scientology, is using an, a front group's materials. <laughs> yeah. Because the public Sea Org or the public Scientology kids are, are getting, a, 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 we can definitely say, a much better education. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. at the Delphi schools than anything actually, the Sea Org yeah. were given. Well, and we could talk about Delphi later because I ended up working there. Oh, Okay. Well, let's let's carry on here. So, so you're so you're basically kind of sloughing off as a C as a as a new Sea Org member, and mm -hmm. uh, and what happened? I mean, that didn't last very long. Yeah, um, and I was only so within like four months, I started getting like just really over my post, and then I decided to blow. And so the Sea Org is also covered in this book, but um, long story short, I just kept going in and out of trouble. And then I would like, it's, you get to really experience through the book, how much mind control that like the, the like group think is in your own brain. Cause you change your mind. I'm constantly deciding to stay, even though I want to leave. And like, uh, you know, there's a moment when I'm actually supposed to join, they do a fitness board before when you're done with DPF. And normally they just, 
you're not present for it. But they called me in because I had such a large ethics file. And they're like, do you really want to be like in the Sea Org? And I have this like flash. I'm like, no, I want to go be a teenager like in my brain. But I like squash it. And I'm like, yeah, I, I want to be in the Sea Org. But it's like, you just like, you push all these thoughts away and you keep doing that over and over. Um, and then, but I just, I really just wanted to have like a life of my own. And I didn't want to have to do this drudgery. This jobs felt really pointless. Um, like the calling people who didn't really even want to be in Scientology. So I didn't feel like I was saving the world really either. So it was like, I could be a better Scientologist and do more than I'm doing here. So right. that's, you know, there was, it was nothing for me really in the Sea Org that was keeping me there. And after I kept blowing and then going back a post, blowing, going back a post, like a repetitive cycle. And then finally, like after the third one, I was just like, let me go. Like, stop trying to persuade me. And yeah. So then it's like, where are you going to go? Because my parents are in the Sea Org. So that's a whole thing with all of me and my friends. They always try to send us out somewhere away from LA. And then we all come back. We all came back reunited. But Right. Well, what what do you mean? What happened there? How 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 were you dealt with, or how did you see other kids who didn't want to be in the Sea Org dealt with? Yeah. So, well, first they like put it. We were all in the like me and a couple other ranchers were on the decks, and you're like definitely you know given the side eye, the dirty looks, because everybody really knows why you're on the decks. It's like you're gonna leave, but you can't say it out loud. Or I think it's done. Um, and by the decks, by the way, we mean you're actually just doing physical work. You're cleaning, you just, you're running yeah, around. Cleaning. Yeah, cleaning. A lot of slacking off in our dorm, too, but we should be cleaning and stuff. Um, and then, but wasting our lives away, really, because they were taking forever to get an auditor to do a sec check. And we're only 15, 16. Like, we could be, like, getting out and getting into high school and stuff like that. But we're just sitting around, you know, waiting for our sec check, which is when they ask us for if we have any overts against Scientology and the Sea Org. Um, so eventually they finally get us a sec check and that's like, I've been on it for like a few months and then it was decided. My mom told me I had an aunt in Florida. I had no idea. So she's like, you're going to go stay with her and your cousins. So it's like, okay. And so then I went to go stay there. And when I was there, I found out like two weeks later that she thought I was just coming for a visit. She didn't realize I was like going to move in with her. So then she was kind of a little bit salty with me. <laughs> well, I can imagine. Oh my God. So her sister's daughter yeah flies across the country for a visit oh no surprise yeah i'm yeah. here to stay what did, what was her idea of was she a scientologist no and like hadn't really talked to my mom that much since my mom had joined and been in la and like they've been really out of touch but my mom was like the oldest sibling of eight of seven so was really looked up to and stuff um so it was really sad when she just disappeared kind of it's what it felt like to them like just not in touch a lot i think they visited her once in la when i was like six or seven and then we visited them in new york once when i was like eight so i didn't know them much but my florida aunt was not in new york with the other aunts and uncles so i had never met her before so wow. yeah and they were very christian too which was a culture shock for me i had no idea about this and they would take me to their church which was very like um, actually surprisingly similar to David Miscavige's events, like the, the big videos and stuff, but it's more with Jesus and then I'm singing and all, you know, oh my gosh, it was just like, I was like, what am I in? So it was a lot for me. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine my goodness. I yeah. mean, culture shock. Yeah. That is exactly what that would have looked like. Plus you started going to high school. Yep. So I went to a high school, Lato high school in Florida and um, it was, I 
this is like another kind of interesting thing is like I'm Puerto Rican and um, I didn't really know much about my culture or anything. So like to go to a school that was predominantly, you know, Cuban, Puerto Rican, Dominican, um, Hispanic, Mexican, like all different types of people and like a very small percentage of white people was very, very shocking to me because I just hadn't experienced that. And there wasn't a lot of people of color at my school. So it was just like, I was like, oh, where am I? And then like, I try to gravitate to like the punk kids because that's what I love. Like, I love that music. And then they're all potheads. I'm like, I don't smoke pot. Drugs are bad for you. <laughs> so it's like, so I was just friends with anyone and everyone and it was fine, but I didn't have like a home. I didn't have like a deep connection and I didn't feel comfortable in my aunt's home. So once I finished a semester, I was like, I'm done. Like, I'm not doing this. So then my mom's arranged for me to go stay with my aunts in New York for the summer. And they actually offered for me to go to high school there. And I was like, no, thanks. I'm going to go to LA and see my friends and like party. And like, <laughs> cause you know, I don't have any priority on education cause I'm only 17 at this point. Right. So that's what I did. I went to LA and like eventually fell into with the group, uh, with a Scientologist friend who was in the CR who left, whose dad was wealthy and paid for a two bedroom apartment. So she offered for me to stay with her and I needed to get a job and Delphi was hiring and ta-da, I was at Delphi Academy. Wow. And, and this is in, and this is Delphi, Los Angeles. Yeah. And you're working yeah. there now educating kids. Yes. And I was in the library at first, but by the time I was 19, I got, I was the teacher, even though I didn't have a high school education. Yeah, I was about to say, you don't have a high school diploma and you're teaching kids at a school. Yeah, I was a really good teacher though, I'll be honest. <laughs> uh, but it's for third grade and you know how it is. I was a supervisor. So like right. they had check sheets and like they raised their hand if they needed help. But I did have to teach lessons like for math and so on. Right. Um, but I was getting paid $12 an hour living in LA, so little, and Delphi is so expensive. I never understood. I kept writing CSWs. Please give me a raise. I don't have children going to Delphi. Like some of the staff, your kids get to go for free. So that would make sense. Like then your salary's bigger because really you, you have your kids going. I don't have kids going here. Please give me a raise. They'd be like, okay, here's 25 cents more. <laughs> and I just loved it so much though, because I love children and wow. uh, I stayed for too long. Um, and I love the people there. I'll be honest. They were really, really good people and they did care about the kids and they wanted them to do well and study technology oh, yeah, that's... was like, annoying, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. That was, I, I've never faulted, you know, public Scientologists or staff mm -hmm. for their intent. Mm -hmm. It's just the methodologies they're using are just ridiculous. And obviously setting up a framework or situation where people who are not even educated themselves are now going to be in a position to educate others makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. And the fact that mm -hmm. this kind of thing can go on in this country, unlicensed, unregulated, is beyond my ability to understand. Yeah, it's very strange. Very, yeah. very strange. Yeah. Yeah. They, I think that they were like lucky in some sense that, yeah, I don't, not lucky, but it's just, yeah, I think that they were desperate to hire and it just didn't matter that I didn't have an education. But it's like, oh, it, what mattered to them was that I was a Scientologist. That's all that mattered. Exactly. Me. That's the, okay. that's the point. He's going to use study technology. That's all that matters here. Right. Yeah. Right, right. Uh, well, fair enough. So, uh, so that didn't last long. So, what happened? What happened then? No, I was actually there for like five years. Oh, five uh, years. Oh, I missed that part. <laughs> Got it. Okay, back up. Good. So, yeah. 
Uh, so you were working at Dell five for 12, 12 to 13 bucks an hour for five years. Yeah. Well, I started, I think even lower, like okay. 10 and something. And so mm -hmm. it was pretty, this is the part where it gets really sad for me. It was like the very, like I got, I mean, to me, I'm doing well. Like I have my own apartment. I, I did like have issues with the law. Like I had a DUI cause I didn't really think about drinking and driving cause I wasn't educated about that. Uh, nobody was hurt or injured, luckily, but that's embarrassing. Um, and that was while I was a teacher at Delphi. I was like, and, and this is embarrassing to share, but I might as well, because they'll probably share it for me anyway at the church. But I was like in jail and they had to like get somebody to cover my class because it was like a holiday weekend. So they like they held me overnight or something at the jail, the county jail in Burbank. Super embarrassing. But um, that's a segue. <laughs> it's a segue, but um I overall though was doing well and like had all these commendations and was like all of a sudden I get a call from the org hey come in and I'm like oh my gosh I'm gonna show them all the good stuff I'm doing like I have all these commendations I'm gonna bring them my folder of commendations so they could add it to my C org file and see how how good I am was what I'm thinking and they pull me into this little office and they tell me that my dad's making mistakes on posts they have two report knowledge reports on me one of them is um, from my dad's side. Uh, ALA, it's like his senior or something wrote it saying, I don't know if it's a knowledge report, but it was like a, like things that shouldn't be, or like oh, it was a, a report. Sure. A report. Yeah. Um, saying that my dad was making mistakes on post and they know that he sees me on the weekends on Sunday mornings because we hang out every other Sunday or so. And that he thinks it's because he hangs out with me and like my, and the, it literally says, but Mike doesn't agree, but we'll, we're going to keep working on that. I was like, one redeeming quality about my dad was at least he didn't accuse me of being the reason, but it was so annoying. And then my, the other report, which is way worse, was from the MLO is the person in charge of health for, for CR members and his, my brother, Philip had been dealing with health issues and his was very, very like hurtful was that my brother was sick and he was keep coming and having to go to the hospital. And they're like, we think it's because he's connected to you. Like you're suppressing him. And it was so hurtful. I was like, I was crying. I was a mess. I was like, you're saying I'm evil. Like, that's what you're telling me. And this is one of the Durianar of Asha Foundation was like, yes, like stone cold, basically. And I, she's like, well, it's a non-interpolation, we're issuing a non-interpolation order, which they did not give me a copy of, unfortunately. They're like, so we need a, you not to talk to your brother and your dad so that we could get them doing better. And so then, and, and so, so in, in case the audience is like going, what the hell are you talking about right now? This, this is standard Scientology. This is, this is 100% usual, normal routine behavior within the church of Scientology. Mm -hmm. What's happened here is that you as an ex Sea Org member have been labeled and determined to be what's called a source of interpolation or upset. Uh, you're a bad person, you're a bad influence, let's put it that way, really bad influence, on mm -hmm. your Sea Org family, who are the most ethical people on the planet, who are doing the job nobody else will do, and so they're the ones who are worthy of validation, acknowledgement, and support. You're the slacker who couldn't make it and took off and left because you're out ethics. There's all yeah. these labels. I'm just throwing out all these labels. This is the way they think. Yeah. And so without any interview with you, without any sort of data collection or finding out who you are, what you're about, what's going on, it's just decided 
because you're there and your parents and your family are here, they're good, you're bad. Mm-hmm. So we're going to have absolutely no qualms whatsoever calling you in here and telling you the group has decided you're the problem. Yeah. For your dad's mistakes, which means mm-hmm. he's PTS, potential trouble source, and you're the suppressive. And for your brother's medical situation, well, clearly it couldn't be anybody around him because they're all very good ethical Sea Org members. It must be this horrible, awful sister of his who's out educating kids at Delphi. Oh, my God, how evil of her. He did not care about that at all. Yeah, don't care about any of that, right? You can come in with a pile of commendations about what a great Scientologist you are, how everybody loves you, how you're doing great at your job. No one cares because the Sea Org looks down on all of that. None of that matters to them. And it never has. All of mm-hmm. that Delphi work, Narcanon work, Criminon work, Way to Happiness work, all those front groups that Scientology has are meaningless to the Sea Orc. They don't care because yeah. those guys are out in the WOG world doing WOG stuff. We're the guys who are actually getting the work done. That's the yeah. attitude of the Sea Orc. I, I, I swam in that for decades. It was it, it was the most arrogant, conceited. It's unbelievable. It's actually hard to find the words to describe the levels of arrogance that exist in the Sea Org when it comes to how they think about themselves. Yeah. And that's what empowers them to feel like not only can they judge other people who aren't Sea Org members... It's their right and duty to judge them. And yeah. if you have any negative or horrible or critical thing to say about it, well, that just proves how much of a problem you are. Mm-hmm. And uh, did I get that right? Yeah. I mean, it's just they think that, yeah, they're saving the world and that makes them like anything else is a deterrent or it stops it. And it's just doesn't matter. I don't know. Yeah, it's very, very strange. It, <laughs> it, it is. Well, this is what we say when we say it's culty. Yeah, that's it's what so, we're it talking takes about. So long to when you leave to so yeah, like to still to be able to say that word about something you grow up in because then it's almost like what that takes away everything I ever knew, you know. Mm. And it's like, but then you have to come to terms with like, oh my gosh, it's true. Like this, this happened to me and this is real and like when that happened it still took me a while i was still a scientologist but there was a big crack it was like they like they they're the ones who started it and like i was starting to have my eyes open and my blinders were coming off because it was to have um and i and i'll talk about this going to be a follow-up so this book is like the ranch in the sea org but like how hard it is to leave that the tangle of Scientology that's intertwined, even though I was still like always getting in trouble, I believed wholeheartedly about L. Ron Hubbard and all that stuff that we're saving the world. And that's hard to get to lose that thought process. So for them to say to me, you're evil, you're causing these problems was like devastating. And then to still say, but I'm still a Scientologist. I still want to save the world. Like that's too, like, that's like how, like anybody would be like, dude, get out of there fast. 
but it still took another couple of years of me to fully process that and what happened and like come out of it. Yeah, exactly. And it goes back to I, I, I I'll, I'll just take a second here because I want to comment on this that it that it does go back to those emotional needs again. I mean, even with the family structure stripped out, even with the you know the rigidity of your upbringing with the the ranch and all the nonsense and the constant Hubbardisms and the ethics and the Sea Org and all that crap, you still have this emotional need of community and support and purpose you know, yeah. and meaning for your life. And you're still aligning, even if you're not in the Sea Org, you're still, ha you've been brought up in a world where this is the reality. This is the norm is we're clearing the planet. We're saving the world. And you're still fit into that kind of worldview. And so you're, you're emotionally tied to that. And that's yeah. how they still keep their, their claws in you. Even though, you know, because people might think about this and go, but you were out. I don't understand. No, she, it, the emotional ties are the ties that bind. And those are, that's what was keeping you connected with this. And that's, I think, why it was so devastating when it was like, oh, yeah, no, you, actually, in this picture, you're the bad guy. And here's mm -hmm. your non interbulation order. And, you know, don't darken our doors again, you evil person. You know, you yeah. SP. I mean, how could that not be devastating? That was the last, you know, bits of emotional, like, connection to this whole thing. Yeah. And then, and randomly, like, a couple months later, they're like, oh, never mind. You can come back. <laughs> right. They're like, my sister called me, and she's like, oh, we sorted it all out. I'm like, what does that mean, you sorted it out? And then she's like, well, they really want us to go get tested for bone marrow for my brother to see if we're a match. So I think that's where they had to lift it because they want to see if I can match with my brother, which obviously I was very happy to do. And then my brother got sicker and sicker, unfortunately, and that's a whole thing. But yeah, yeah, um, no, that's yeah. and that's a little bit of a tragedy there. So, OK, so now. um so then what basically so what so so then they're making up or then that's everything's fine again so what yeah, no apology just you could see your family again and wow. this is like i turned 21 during that time and there was no call on my birthday nothing which to be honest like they're never really good about birthdays but still like to get nothing not even like a couple days late um was very like hard for me um mm -hmm. and i had my boyfriend at the time and he wasn't a scientologist like i said so like that being able to at least talk to him was like really good but um wow. i don't want to take go too much into like how our conversations went because that could go forever because no, there's a I lot get, of them i get yeah. it it's, it's it must have been nice though and especially 20 21 years old you know you're still you know in the real world figuring stuff out and here's somebody who's not part of that whole world who can mm -hmm. go, hey, here's a couple other ways of looking at this, or here's a couple other ideas, yeah? Yeah, and he was educated, went to the U of M. I had met his family. His they, his friends were so kind and generous, and I'm like, wogs are, like, kind of better than Scientologists. Like, they're so great. They're so polite. They're so sweet and caring. Yeah. Like, even though you're a stranger, they want to make sure you're okay. Like, this is generally the people that I would meet. And I, he exposed me to a whole other world. So that also really helped me um, to like process everything that was going on. So this is all happening at the same time. It happened to me, my boyfriend, right around the time when that happened, when they told me I was like an evil 
this plot trying to destroy my <laughs> destroy Jesus. My, my dad and my brother. Jesus. No, but so that was a big part, I think, of helping me come out of it, and then conversations that were had and so on. But right, and okay, so now what? Um, so then, what? What was it? Let's uh, you know, kind of, I guess, jump into the to, to the chase here. Right? Is what was it that finally made you realize? Okay, this is. I was raised in crazy town. This this, this yeah. was not. Yeah, this is a good story. Yeah. What What happened? I think it's a good story. Okay. Uh, I was still a believer, so even if everything, so I asked Ryan to get to come with me to the new event that was happening, one of the maiden voyage events. Guess which event it was? Basics release. So what? Two thousand four. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was like I think or whatever year it was. Watching it through my husband's eyes, because I'm sitting next to him, I was like, and David Miscavige is just like, these people who made these books, look at what they did, like just blaming these people for like nice. messing up these books that everybody's been studying and having all these wins on for years. I'm like, but aren't you also then degrading everything that everybody learned? So that part was just like, what? And then like, just realizing I'm like, are they just trying to make money? Like money had never occurred to me to this point, which is funny because it's kind of obvious, but, and it was just like, you're like, it seems so obvious that they're just making up a reason to sell something. Right. Um, and then as we were leaving, people were just jumping in front of us, cash your credit card, cash your credit card, like <laughs> robots. And I was like, who are these people? People I grew up with at the ranch. Catherine, Catherine, catch her credit card. I'm like, whoa, how about, hey, it's been a while. Like, catch up. Let's catch up. Right. I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. And then we get in the car and we're like driving out. And a Sierra member jumps in front of the car. Wait, do you have your basics? Yeah, cash your credit card. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And Ryan rolls down the window and the guy like runs over all happy. And he's like, if you don't get away from my car, I'm calling the police. Like, totally like deadpan. The guy's like, ah. And we like leave. And I was just like, wow. that was the, like, I, I went on the internet. I was like, deep dive, like. And this I, is, and this is back before, this is even pre-anonymous. This is before things really hit the fan in the media with Scientology too. I think anonymous was starting to happen. Like yeah. the, I think like the masks and stuff where they were protesting, but I just thought they were weird. Like that's Oh, like, okay. Okay. So, okay. Maybe a little bit later. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That movie had come out. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the the guy Fox masks. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay. So you had been seeing some of that already. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So there was. You just don't really. You're like, oh, they don't know what they're talking about. So right. Like, you tell yourself. Right. 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 Yeah. Okay. Interesting. You're. This is. You're going through all this while I'm sweating it out on the RPF back in pack during this whole time. Oh, no. Yeah. Duh. What <laughs> a nightmare time. Okay, so good. So that was basically kind of your realization that this was actually crazy town. And, and, and again, a good point. You know, these little things are the kind of things with your story that I want to highlight for the audience because you, you don't think about this kind of thing. Like, here's all these people you grew up with you haven't seen in a long time. They're not trying to catch up with you. They don't give a shit about you. They just <laughs> want to know cash or credit. Yeah, that's what Scientology and the Sea Org is doing to them. I'm going to talk about a conformity, high control environment. It's not a joke. I mean, that's that's what it does to people is it dehumanizes them in ways that are hard to get across to people, except with these little 
kind of examples where you just go, what, really? Yeah, really. You know, it really is like that. It's, yeah. You're not a person. You're just a credit card or you're just a, a statistic to be made for the week. Yeah. You know? Yeah, for sure. It's so dehumanizing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. It's it's amazing that they can. And then like, you know, my mom's calling me. Do you want to, I'm going to buy you a set of basics for you. I'm like, mom, you don't make money. You're, you're on a Sea Org salary of what, $35 a week. Like, well, don't buy me the basics. Don't buy yourself the basics. You have it at the base. But she's like, oh, I want to have my own copy. I'm like, what? That doesn't even make sense. Yeah. How does it make this make sense? But it doesn't make sense because they're like, just, I don't know, just so bought into that. No, like, it's a, no, it's, it's fanaticism. Yeah. It, it really is. I, I, it's a harsh word. I mean, it's not a, it's not a fun word. It's not a word that that has light connotations, but it really is the most fitting one I can think of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. okay. So, uh, so here we are yeah. <laughs> and, you're, and you're out <laughs> and you're done and, uh, and you've got this book out there now that's, I think, about all your story I think we need to really cover here in terms of giving people an idea of what you're about and what you've been through and, and, what this is, and what this is for. And we've certainly mentioned the book enough times that I think people get the idea, you know, go read it. Um, yeah. Where do they get it? The book? Yeah. Oh, they can get it on Amazon. It's, on, it's available for paperback and Kindle. And then in a couple months, I hope to have an Audible version up as well. Good. Yeah. Good, good. Yeah. Audio is definitely good as yeah. gone over. I, 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 I told her beforehand, guys, it's, it's vital to get that audio book out there. Yeah. So good. Uh, I'm glad you're working on that. I think that one thing I want to say um, about my book that is different is that it's not an angry book. Like there's emotions, obviously, but it's very from a young girl's perspective. So I think you're really going to understand how much somebody can really believe in it in the world around them and also struggle in that belief. Um, it's, I think that's what makes my story a little bit more, it's a little bit different in that regard that it's not like I'm looking back and noticing all the wrong things that happened. I'm just living in it and I have no clue. So um, if anybody's wondering what type of book that it'll be. No, that's good. Yeah. No, that's good. Very good. And it's, and it's a, and it's an interesting I'll say, you know, from my perspective, it's an interesting juxtaposition to Jenna Miscavige Hill's book, where she grows up at the Int Ranch. You know, she's part of David Miscavige's family, uh, extended family, right? There's, 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 there's lots of abusive stuff going on. And here is, you know, not necessarily the other side of the picture. It's all abusive. It's all negligent. It's all not nonsensical. But it's, it's just a different part of that same picture that same world it's a it's a way to get a more well-rounded look at Mm -hmm. the entire experience of what it was to be one of this lost generation of the sea org and scientology kids you know because that's kind of how i think about you guys is is you were just kind of left to fend for yourselves and figure it out and uh, there were all kinds of not really great results from that yeah for sure you know. Yeah, and Jenna Miscavige's Hills book, I, I read it. It's really good. Um, she definitely has her own story that I thought was very interesting because she's David Miscavige's niece. What happens to her? What Like, how is she treated? Compared to um, my parents are the lowest rank in the Sea Org. What happens to all those kids who are the lower ranks, who are exactly. not at the end ranch? 
and what is this what is that like for i'm like through my eyes of course um, exactly yeah exactly well all right Catherine. well thank you very much for taking the time one to reach out to me you know get this book done uh put yourself out there publicly and uh and get your story out there you know and and even more importantly raise three boys have a good successful life move on from all this crap and and actually kind of enjoy a life yeah i'm yeah. like i count myself like so lucky that i met my boyfriend when i was 20 and he's my best friend and we are like we have three amazing kids and we live in a great community in minneapolis by the lakes and we're out i'm just loving life like i'm grateful so grateful for what i have so thank you again for having me and like uh, we we've spoken a few times and all of your conversations all of your it just it's been really uplifting to have your support so i really appreciate it you bet absolutely all right folks uh so there you go there is another uh episode i guess you could say in the ongoing uh series of episodes i've put together here that we're kind of calling the scientology experience because uh, that's kind of what this is from all different angles and sides. Uh, so there you go. I hope that you found this uh, episode entertaining, informative, and educational. And I hope that you will subscribe to the channel. And I hope that you will consider supporting the channel either through Patreon, PayPal, Venmo, whatever. You know, there's about a billion links in the description section here if you want to show some love to what I'm doing and to help keep this going so I can continue telling these kind of stories and help educate the public at large about this stuff. All right, folks, I will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.